0: For those who don't know utah has a dedicated hunter program mm-hmm. that basically allows you to kill two bucks and you you're guaranteed tags for a unit for three years but in that time period you can only kill two bucks so if you kill your kill two bucks the first two years then you you sit out the third year i generally always like to have uh some sort of out of state early season september elk hunt generally bow colorado does op- offer some muzzleloader hunts Mm -hmm. at that time but typically I'm bow hunting in September I try to take advantage of every situation that I can so I love technology I'll use the technology you know the technology that's legal but from the same token I'll go and design my bow with an arrow that's specifically optimized for a specific hunt I think that's the biggest mess up in archery hunting is ranging errors or not range the faster that arrow the more error you can get away with in that range estimate. And that arrow, I can be like two and a half yards off on my range estimate at 80 yards. So I do this 80-yard proving grounds. And I've built this arrow up such that I can be two and a half yards off on my range estimate at 80 yards and still be within what I consider the kill zone on a big mature bot. That, you know, you drop to a, you know, standard 275 foot per second arrow. You may be lucky if you have one yard range forgiveness
1: at 80 yards. Hey guys, welcome to the Days of the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast. I want to take a minute to introduce you to a new organization called Howl for Wildlife. Howl was grown out of the necessity to have a fast acting tool to focus the sportsman's voice on issues concerning wildlife management and hunting. It's Howl's goal to shut down any initiative that doesn't support sound management practices before it even makes it to the ballot and certainly before it reaches the court I know I sound like a broken record, but we need to start looking at hunting as a community and not just an individual sport. And that means supporting all hunting, whether we engage in duck hunting or predator hunting or anything in between. We are all in this for different reasons. And unfortunately, it's this difference that will be on our undoing if we let it. So we need to come together as one pack and let our diversity be our strength. We are a strong force if we band together one voice, one howl. I want you to go to howlforwildlife.org. That's H-O-W-L for wildlife.org and join there. There's no cost to you to becoming a member. Howl operates solely on donations. So it's completely up to you if you decide you want to send money or not. There'll be no annoying emails, no newsletter advertisements or money grabs or anything like that. No drives Signing up as a member just means that when there's an issue concerning wildlife management like this attempt on banning mountain lion hunting and bear hunting in Arizona, you will be called to stand with us and let your voice be heard. So get out there, get on powerful Wildlife, become a member, and join the pack. Thank you. Let's jump into this episode. It's pretty nuts, actually. I told the story so many times, but I remember one time I was down there in January and I already had filled my deer tag. So I was chasing javelina and my cousin and I got out that morning and it was nine degrees in the morning. And later that day, it was like 77. Yeah. You just had the crazy swing in weather. Like we were like, I was so cold that I took my sleeping bag out of my truck and wrapped it around me while I was glassing because I couldn't stay on my feet. I couldn't feel my feet. It was so freaking miserable that morning. And then like later that day, we were stalking these pigs, and it was like, I don't know, it was pretty late in the day. It was probably like one or something like that. And I ran out of water, and I was like, man, I'm super thirsty, and it's hot. And I was like, oh, my God, it's like what a swing and i was carrying all these extra clothes in my backpack now because i had you know left yeah. and it was like probably at 19 or 20 degrees at that point when i decided to go after them it was just nuts so yeah, Arizona, yeah I, I had arizona's I had, I had, I had, known had, for that
0: yeah i had something similar i i think i ripped the cone out of the top of my teepee because of such huge temperature swings when we first got there it froze pretty hard and probably not, not near nine degrees, but it was probably low twenties. And I set up my teepee. It was like in the middle, it was like 2am when we got there, set up my big kafaro teepee. And and you set it, you, you, uh, you stretch it pretty tight when you set it up mm-hmm. and not even thinking I set it up in damp or, uh, you know, I say damp, but it was, you know, frozen. It was below the dew point and, right. and cold. And, uh, that next day it warmed up to I don't know seventy-five, eighty degrees. Mm. Probably seventy degrees, a couple days later it warmed up to eighty. But then that that tent fabric kind of contracts and expands with the weather and with the heat, I think it was trying to expand and it was pitched too tight with the heat and oh, started it started ripping the cordura cone out of the top. So I, I believe it. It was it was crazy. Uh, that's nuts. Once the weather kind of settled and the and the high pressure started building, I don't even think it froze at night this last January. But
2: mm-hmm. that
0: first that like what you're describing, what's well, like the the jet stream changed and the high pressure started to build in those first couple of nights. It definitely froze, but was still getting quite warm in the daytime.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's I'm always amazed by the weather down here in wintertime especially in summer it's pretty predictable it's going to be freaking hot
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. it's either
1: it's going to be hot and rainy and humid or it's just going to be hot and dry you know that's the only difference but I mean was it last year or two years ago in February I remember because I looked at the date just recently and I was like oh my god it's so hot here right now it was like it was like right around 80 degrees. And I'm like, wow, two years ago today, it was snowing. Yeah, And yeah, like the first day of uh, the ham hunts down here, I went to go meet my client and I left my house and I was like, all right, I need to look and see what the weather is. I should have did it before I left or, you know, the night before or whatever. I'm like 14 degrees. I'm like, what the freak, man? 14 degrees. But then later that day, it was like 70 <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I'm like, you can't, you can't win, man. It's like, nope. you just gotta, you just gotta go layer. I tell, I tell all, everybody who comes to hunt with me down here, like, you just gotta wear layers and be able to, you know, peel them off as the day goes on because yep. you'll be like in your big puffy in the morning. And then by the end of the day, you want to be in shorts and t-shirt. So, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so today's episode's brought to you. By Phoenix Shooting Bags, and uh, I got uh, James Yates with me on the phone. I, uh, because you know those pre pre conversations sometimes always have really good tidbits of information in there. But yeah, yeah, for sure. So, uh, well, why don't you give us a little rundown about yourself, and then uh, we'll we'll get into it.
0: Well, thanks, John. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so uh, James Yates. I'm based out of Salt Lake. Father of two chaotic boys. Husband uh, to a beautiful wife. I'm a consulting chemical engineer by trade. Uh, mostly work in helping refineries meet uh, emissions, um, helping improve efficiencies of profit processes. And then my kind of side hustle is is hunting. I say side hustle. It's a major, obviously, hobby of mine. It's kind of grown into more than just a hobby. I. I'm an archery guru by heart. I absolutely love the sport. I uh, try to digest and learn everything I can, continually work on all my own equipment. Beyond that, it just it kind of takes over my life. I shoot my bow daily. And I uh, early last year, so for about a year now, I've been the archery content editor at Western Hunter Magazine and uh, trying to kind of share my philosophies on Everything archer-related in the magazine, and uh, had quite a bit of success over the last ten years. Bow hunting, rifle hunted all my life before that, and I think you and I kind of already talked about a topic. And it's kind of funny I've come a little full circle in my my hunting situation as I've gotten busier with uh, my kids. And there was a like I was saying about a six to ten year period there where I was pretty much archery only across the West Mm -hmm. hunting in three to five States a year. And as kids started coming along, as work got busier, just as life gets more chaotic, some of those bow hunts I'd go on were 10 to 14 days long in order to kill a, a big mature animal, mostly, mostly OTC type hunting that I do. And,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and I just through, uh, the busyness of life, I've come, Kind of full circle, back to the rifle a little bit, and and uh, have started to really appreciate having a rifle hunt every year, and and the nuances that come with rifle hunting, especially general OTC rifle hunting, can really kick you in the teeth. So,
1: yeah, I think those those hunts are designed, which is good. I mean, it's good that they're designed this way. They're you spend like bow hunts for the most part i think it's easier to find the animals that you're looking for the target animal that you're looking for and the target quality that you're looking for but of course there's they're, no question that they're, they're so much harder to kill obviously because you're using a bow and arrow and then the vice versa is it's so much easier to kill something with a rifle but it's so much harder to find the, that right one so much- yeah, the the right one. Right. And you you'd brought it up
0: when we kind of talked last week to get to know each other. But rifle hunting really took a turn for you and for me for similar reasons. For me, it was more adventure. All growing up, I'd hunt. I'm from Utah, but I'd hunt Wyoming as often as I did Utah. We could draw tags almost every year, my dad and grandpa and I. But it was always pretty much road hunting, little little day little hikes from the road, but mm-hmm. it was always close enough to the road and mostly uphill from the road that you could drag your deer back down to the road because that's just how my dad and grandpa did it
1: right? right yep, so same here
0: until until I was like a junior in college, I never really questioned that. That's just how you hunted i I really enjoyed it. but by the time I'd become a junior in college, well, so a bit of a side story. I, uh, through my teens and twenties, I was enamored with, in addition to, to rifle hunting with my dad and grandpa in the fall, I climbed voraciously, uh, rock climb, all types trad traditional climbing where you place your own gear, big wall climbing, Alpine, Alpine climbing, just enamored with it. I traveled across the world. That's how I met my wife <laughs> competed Have climbed in almost every Western state. Um, and I actually injured myself. I pulled a uh, rupture or partially ruptured a tendon in my left hand.
2: Mm.
0: And that was my, uh and that was about that same time I was rifle hunting. And the climbing was my adventure in life. Like my big adventure. That's where I learned my mountaineering skills. And when I got hurt, it kind of left me wanting more. And I remember one hunt specifically just after I'd gotten injured, I was with my dad and, and I wanted more and, and I and I and we I convinced him to we still camped at the truck, but we did these we did these major hikes, you know, fifteen mile days. And my dad was so worried about getting a buck out, and I assured him that I had done enough research to figure out how to, you know, field butcher a you know the gutless method, field butcher a buck. Mm-hmm. And he didn't he didn't believe me, and I ended up killing a small three point on that hunt, like four or five miles in. And he was like, he came over and was like, "What have we done?" We're not gonna get it out. We're gonna <laughs> get arrested for for wasting game. And I was like, Dad, I got this. So I butchered the whole thing. And just to prove a point, I had my backpacking backpack with me because I I knew what we were gonna get into. And I carried the entire gear out with all of my gear, my rifle. And at that point my eyes were kind of just like <laughs> wow, this this was really cool. And there's something uh, else to this. <laughs> yeah, th- yeah, there's something else to this. Exactly. Just so happens, just after that, because I couldn't climb, I was getting pretty depressed, and my wife had suggested that I pick up archery. And uh, so this was ten, eleven years ago, and and I and I went full steam into archery. Bought a bought a used bow, um, killed a buck and a bull my first year, and then within within two and a half years, about three years actually, I was already buying all my own archery equipment to, to tune my bow at home, to, to, to fiddle with my arrows. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, and then it's just gotten progressively every year. I'm just voraciously learning. And I mean, I, at this point, I, I go head over heels in all details of my life, but archery especially. So I kind of went down that rabbit hole for a long time, six to six, seven, eight years. And, and had an experience where I had one of those tags where I You know, some of the states, you know, Idaho, Wyoming, allow you to to you just get the tag and then you can hunt pretty much any available season on that tag. Had a boat had a bow hunt and had a bow hunt originally planned on that hunt, went up, couldn't kill a buck. Then I went back up with a rifle. This is this is just two or three years ago two or three years ago, and Polar Vortex came down, the weather was absolutely horrible, and I ended up killing a really old like eight-year-old really heavy frame two by three buck kind of his main being kind of corkscrews wouldn't score worth a darn but man just a really cool. good looking buck yeah i never saw a soul that was a backpack hunt and at that point i was like holy shit this the weather was so bad i didn't see a soul i mean it was it was literally like minus 20 with the wind chill everything froze at night water it was hard to get a, a fire going in my teepee the next morning. Cause the, the, the lighter had gelled. Anyway, oh, it just, it just turned my another event where it kind of turned my rifle hunting perception upside down. And I was like, you can make this as adventurous as you want it. Mm-hmm. And, and from that point on this, like I said, that was three or four years ago. I've now tried to incorporate a rifle hunt into at least one rifle hunt into every season which I think was, is kind of similar to, I was after it for the adventure and then, and, and then you, you, you kind of came back to, to rifle. It sounds like once you kind of started getting a little bit more, more picky, if I remember right.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, to an extent, my, the only rifle hunts that I would do previously, to just a few years, just a few years ago, for myself anyway, were just coos deer hunting. Like I, if you know, if I drew the right coos tag down here, I would go rifle hunting because, to me, they were always they're always formidable, whether whether mm-hmm. you have a rifle or not, and even even in the better seasons, like even if you get, I like, could say, a quote unquote rut hunt uh, here you still a lot of stuff can still go wrong. You still got to put some eff, real effort into it, you know? So, and they're not always, yes, you're going to see a crap ton of deer at that time, but you're not always going to find the right one yet because yeah. it's just kind of starting. But, um, anyway, so, bef, you know, so prior to that I was like, you know, there wasn't enough, I don't know, in it for me, we'll call it a venture. Uh, and actually there was a time that I kind of almost looked down my nose at rifle hunting. Like it was beneath me at some point. I don't know
0: that though. I agree that six years when, after I got (laughs) hurt from climbing and I went, you know, I was six years, nothing but archery. It was eat, sleep and drink archery. And I, and I'll admit it. I looked down my nose to, to rifle hunting at that point too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. at that point, rifle hunting, with the exception of one semi-backcountry buck that I'd killed, was, was pretty much just easy-going road hunting. Right. It wasn't adventurous hunting.
1: Well, my, my first introduction to hunting period was putting an orange wear, uh, you know, jumpsuit on and uh, going to sit underneath a tree and waiting for something to walk by. Yeah, You know, so there wasn't a whole lot of adventure in it (laughs) for me, you know, other than walking out when we go out to like out out in the Adirondacks and stuff like that, we'd go, you know, you would cross a couple of streams and, you know, hike up Mm -hmm. a ridge or whatever, but it wasn't like, you know, anything what I'm doing now. Um, so yeah, the, the adventure, the, the excitement was still there for a while as a kid, but then you know, once the excitement fades of being able to pull the trigger or whatever, what's left, you know, there's yeah. a, ch- there's a chess game, you know, trying to figure out what they are going to do and so on and so forth. But then for me, I was like, I needed, I crave the adventure and I've always been, um, that's why I'm a destination hunter. Like I go to places, go, I, I'm like, it's all about the experience I've never been an inches guy, but yes, you did mention I had mentioned to you that I kind of just changed my couple things about rifle hunting. I changed that is one. I was either going to shoot them from really far away or I was going to stalk into bow range or or pretty darn close to bow range because that yeah. middle range with a rifle as a bow hunter, somebody who's used to getting, you know, how many times you've been with a bow and you've been 150 yards away, and you're like, "Fuck, I wish I, had, <laughs> I wish I had my rifle yeah. right now," you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, th- that's not that's not difficult. It's not a difficult shot, and it's not terribly difficult to do to get to that yeah. to the get to that range, right? So, yep. for me, it was like, okay, either I'm going to get really close, or I'm shooting these things from you know 600 plus yards out, and then i also started looking i started becoming more of a quote-unquote uh you know inches guy or trophy hunter whatever however you want to yeah and
0: and and the way you described it before like you'd never like you you'd never mentioned to me it was after the inches what you were telling me before was the the heart pump factor right
1: exactly what what get what get what gets you going exactly finding the one that makes me excited exactly that's exactly it that's all that
0: idaho go ahead Idaho hunt was for me too. Like that buck, you know, this is that hunt that I was describing three or four yep. years ago with the polar vortex. That buck isn't going to score worth a darn, but, um, he, uh, that buck just, just got me going. I mean, it was by far the biggest body deer I'd seen. And yeah, so I couldn't agree more with that. What well, it was interesting what you were saying about the destination hunting. We didn't really talk about this last week, but That is me to a T. Mm. Hunting is pretty much, especially bow hunting and I should say adventure hunting has pretty much replaced everything that climbing was to me. Mm -hmm. So I would travel to climb. Um, I haven't traveled outside of the States to hunt yet, but that debt, like hunting has become an avenue for me to experience new, new things and new places. Right. And that's, that's one thing that I, I've really enjoyed getting to, to hunt new terrain types, uh, new seasons. So I'm I'm glad you brought that up because that is a huge facet of, of me and where I like to hunt. And beyond just the geography, Mm -hmm. you've got the season and then the, the, the weapon type, like you were saying before, so many bow hunts, you know, you're either bow hunting in August or early September, or you're bow hunting during the rut. Right, right. Those are your best times to find mature bucks, so you're always seeing them. You can stay motivated because you're catching glimpses of, of your target buck if 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 you're if you're after that, or you're just seeing deer in general. Mm-hmm. And versus versus, you know, and I was specifically talking general season type hunting, uh, OTC type hunting, and OTC Utah rifle hunt you know, the Utah pumpkin patch, or
1: yep, yep. I've heard
0: the same thing up in Idaho, the Idaho pumpkin patch on that OTC rifle hunt.
1: Yep, the orange uh, army.
0: <laughs> yeah. The orange army. I've even heard the same thing about, uh, some of those, uh, you know, Arizona and, and some of their lesser top tier units have, you know, general rifle seasons, typically South of the ditch there. Mm-hmm. They're in November, but that's like, but that's like an October, you know, people here are hunting in November and they think the rut automatically the no. south of the big south of the big ditch, meaning the Colorado River, Grand Canyon, mm-hmm. the deer in Arizona rut in December, late December through probably early February. Oh, and they go all the way through March.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Arizona so Arizona's like a trickle rut. They'll, you'll actually see, I've seen in late November even mid November, I've seen some rutting activity, a little chasing, little little bird dogging. I've seen, you know, bucks fighting a little bit and you know what you would call a pre rut type stuff. Um, but yes, typically the lion's share or the most intense part of the rut starts pretty much right around the day after Christmas and it goes to really the end of the january but like really intense probably the first three weeks of january so that month you know five days of five six days of uh, of december all the way through you know the third week of january is the most intense portion of the rut but i mean we guide javelina guys here all the time in in the rifle hunt for and that's late February or, you know, yeah. it was like the 20th of February or something like that usually. And I mean, I can't tell you how many big bucks I've seen <laughs> chasing during that hunt. And you're like, where the hell is this guy, you know, three weeks yeah. ago, four weeks ago. Uh, but I have even, uh, so we do a lot of predator hunting too. Um, and I take guys out in March, is like my busiest month for predator hunting. And we always see. Always see big bucks in March chasing, you know, it's not that same intensity, but there's always bucks with those and we've called them in with predator calls and, you know, stuff like that. It's, it's pretty crazy. You know, it's a, it's it's a different, it's different down here because we don't have that same intensity where it's like, okay, yeah, November 4th to, you know, the Thanksgiving is, that's the rut, you know, it's not yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah and, and we, we see that a
0: little bit up here, you know, the second and third estrous cycle if the does are, aren't bred and impregnated, mm-hmm. you'll get rut flare ups in December and in, into January. But I guess what I was, I was kind of leading into was, you know, I'll, I'll go on, you know, I'm a very hardcore backpack in 10 days and I've accomplished. I've killed a lot of really big deer. I've killed a uh, mid 230s buck with my bow on a general tag. I've killed three bucks over 34 inches wide on general tags with my bow. I've killed three three bulls in three states on general tags in a year. So I've I've been around the block bow hunting all over the west. So I am no no yuppie when it comes to bow hunting. And I'll go on record and say the hardest hunt I have ever been on was a southern Arizona two- or three-point rifle deer hunt in (laughs) mid-November, and that hunt kicked my ass. It was a road hunt. I fully embraced the road hunt. I glassed my ass off. I was alone. I had very little reception, and those hunts aren't even that long. I think they're… Seven days. Yeah, Sunday to… Sunday to Friday, or or something uh, like that. Always
1: opens on a Friday.
0: Oh yeah, Friday to Thursday.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Yeah, Friday to Thursday. Yep. And I was alone that time. I got a couple of calls out in that time, meaning to my family. I had my my Garmin inReach to to kind of keep in touch. But holy cow, that hunt just—it was unfortunately bad bad timing weather-wise. It we ha- it was warm. It was. I was hunting about not true desert, but I was hunting six to 7,000 feet. It was still, we had a hot spell. It was like 80 plus degrees, (laughs) bright full moon, no cloud cover for a week. I was hunting a unit. I've got family who live in Arizona. So I had some intel on some really big bucks and that hunt kicked my ass more than I've been. I've done some Colorado hunts where we don't even start hunting until we're you know, seven, like 17 miles from the trail. We went in on mamas on that hunt,
1: but,
0: <laughs> but still like going in 17 miles before you even start hunting. Yeah. that's, um,
1: that's definitely not and me. I, I,
0: <laughs> and I, I'm, but I'm telling you when you're seeing animals, it keeps your psych level high and, and you're motivated. Mm-hmm. But that, that Arizona hunt, like I saw one buck that I should have shot. I saw two, like two, I saw three bucks and they were all in a group and i saw the group of deer one night and the next morning
2: mm-hmm.
0: it was getting dark i knew one buck was a potential shooter i went across this big river gorge to the other side had him in my crosshairs the next morning there was a guy cruising around on a side by side so i kind of had to make a rush decision probably a high 160s buck but i knew of several bucks above 185 and I decided not to pull the trigger. Mm. I would have been stoked with that buck towards the end of the hump, but that was like day three gotcha. and I wasn't ready to pull. And, uh, I ended up not seeing other than, you know, little two points that are hanging out with the does. I didn't end up seeing another buck. And again, I, that was just a mental, that was just a mental, a very down. difficult, <laughs> yeah, mental beat down. Yep.
1: Yeah. I, I know those hunts, man. I've, I can remember some of the ones that were the hardest were the ones that had like almost no physicality to them. I went to Canada moose hunting one time, and I did 10 days in freaking tree stands and didn't see one single legal moose. (laughs) Didn't see... I saw one cow and a calf and one... Like he literally had palms the size of my hands (laughs) on him. And um, I saw a couple of deer, mostly does like, and maybe a little small buck. And I took a shot at a wolf at 60 yards out of the tree stand. And I missed, he ducked it actually. I didn't miss him. He ducked it. And um, yeah, that was it. And it was like, the most brutal like <laughs> mental game i've ever done like i've i've spent plenty of plenty of time on stand because i go back east all the time and it's always a a mind a mind game you know trying to keep yourself focused and keeping in yourself and you just talking to yourself since the cell phone has come around it hasn't been so bad you know you screw around on your phone or whatever here and there yeah and keeps you a little bit more occupied but man i remember before all those times. I mean, I know guys used to bring books up there. i never wanted to do that. Cause I'd always felt like I was going to be like reading and be like, you know, too into whatever I was doing and not seeing things walking by. Yeah. But, um, yeah, those hunts are those that's, that's the different game. Like I always tell people like you, you hunt out West for the most part, it's a football game. If you hunt, you know, back east or in the midwest and you're tree stand hunting or blind hunting whatever it's like a chess game yeah you know they both have their their elements you know but one's got way more physicality to it and it's just but i'm with you man those mental beatdowns are rough
0: <laughs> yeah you get i'm sure you got to the point on that canada hunt where you were like dreading sitting down
1: oh yeah like no, i hated like it
0: like <laughs> yeah like you were you were just like you're not just sitting down like around the campfire back yeah. home eating your or back at the truck eating your meal or whatever. I'm talking like you dreaded the reason why I asked that is because I I literally dreaded glassing. I've never dreaded dreaded mm. glassing yeah. in my life before. But that hunt, like just because I was turning up so few mature bucks, just like essentially no mature bucks except right. for that group of three, I would wake up and I would dread glassing.
1: Yeah. I I feel you. That hunt could be that way. I've been on that hunt before. I've been in that unit before. I know I know where you're at. Well, you told me where you're at, but as soon as you described the terrain, I knew where you were, where it was going. Anyway, but um, anyway, I just I I that time of year, it's like they know the rut's coming soon, and those bucks. Not to mention, it's poorly timed with the amount of rifle tags before it and so on and so forth. So they've been shot at, they've been chased around, they've been pressured and it's like right before the rut and they're just really recluse. You know, they're really just laying up and saving their energy and, you know, then towards the end of the month and they start, you know, figuring out pecking orders and breaking up and, you know, doing whatever. I've had a lot of success on the, coos deer hunt which is late it's a, it's after thanksgiving and the first couple of days of december matter of fact my biggest rightful coos buck is from that that hunt um but that hunt could too also be a, just a giant you know mind fuck with with physicality too because you're still You know, you're still hiking, you're still glassing, you're still doing all that stuff, so it's like a double whammy. You could go around and see nothing but spikes and forkies all over the place, and you're like, what the hell? Why can't I turn up a buck? And then you see an 80-inch buck. This has been my problem because I used to take that hunt very often back in the day when you could wait for the leftover tags and put in for the hunt that you wanted to get, and if you didn't get drawn, you would still go hunting get a leftover tag. That was the leftover tag all the time. Right. And yeah, so I had that hunt many, many times. And, you know, I can't tell you how many 80 inch bucks I shot because, you know, I, it got to that point four days in five days in hadn't seen, you know, a really good mature buck. And then you see this 80 inch buck, you're like, Oh my God, I'm going to shoot that. You know? yeah. So yeah. Anyway,
0: do you, so John, do you have a, I've got, I, I can kind of relate my strategy. I'm curious. Uh, maybe you first. Um, you know, do you do you have certain states that you you like those to be rifle hunting states, and then do you have certain states that you like to be bow hunting states? When you're when, because I know you hunt a crap ton, mm-hmm. and I know you hunt all across the West. So do you yeah. do you have a mindset before going? You know, this time of year actually, it's a yes. perfect podcast for this time of year. Do you have a mindset? Okay, this is going to be you know i i've always got to have an archery hunt during the rut, or i want to have an archery hunt in august chasing high country bucks or you know I, I i want to be on that mid-october general rifle grind in idaho what
1: what is your what is your kind of philosophy there so i have a handful of go-to's okay that i know that i'm going to go do every year or at least every other year and my main strategy, and always has been, I think it started with when I had the TV show that I just needed to acquire as many tags as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. Um, mine's all about opportunity, my strategy. But what I do mm-hmm. is I have several states that I am trying to get, not necessarily rifle or or archery, but I have several states that I'm trying to build points or trying to a, acquire a very upper tier tag mm-hmm. and then i just you know work the otc or easy to draw stuff for the rest of my strategy sure um, i'm of an opportunity I, I look at things like so if i use go hunt as an example of of you know tag strategy i'll look on go hunt i will look for okay do i have a better than 50 percent chance of drawing this tag I look at the success rate, is it 20%? Is it 15%? If it's 20% or better, I'm like, I'm in. I don't care because I play the the average. And this is going to sound really conceited and screwed up. But if the national average is 20%, I feel like I should be able to go in there and get it done.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think that's conceited. I, I, I you're confident in your abilities. You have a proven track record. I mean, everyone know that you got the 90, 10, right? 90% of the hunters kill, uh, you're know, sorry. 10% so of the hunters, hunters kill. kill 90, yeah. killed 90% of the game. So, and you know, you know, you're in that, you know, you're in that 10% class. You're in that 1% class. I know that's my category as well. So I, you you just developed that confidence. And then it's not only that confidence, but you, you dedicated your life to hunting. So have mm-hmm. I, I yeah. mean, I, I have been hunting. I was hunting, and thank goodness for my dad and grandpa, I was hunting. You know, from a very young age, I was hunting out of state before hunting out of state was popular. Right, right. Like, same here. Just because we we loved. It's only been this recent fad that you're here. You know, I say recent, last ten years or so.
1: If that, that really, here. to be honest with you,
0: before ten fifteen years ago, mm-hmm. you didn't hunt at, like you just hunted your home state. Right. I mean, you were still mailing in applications, and my dad would would painstakingly go through all of that for my dad and grandpa and I. And you know, so I, I, I was born to hunt. So I, I'm confident in my skill set, much like you are. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a power trip to say that because I, right. I do the same thing.
1: Right. Exactly. Okay. Well, I always feel I don't like talking about myself, like in in that way at all i don't know i always okay. feel like i hate trying to talk myself up in any way shape or form but yeah so that's what i, I mean that's what i do i look at i look at everything through what's going to give me the best opportunity to get out in the field and do i have a fighting chance i mean i, yeah. I there's units that i look at that are have like you know, zero five <laughs> percent or less, you know, if I look at something like that, I'm like, eh, maybe I shouldn't go try that. I mean, I don't look at that going like, hey, I, I'm i part of that 5%, but I use, you know, the national average as my tool, basically. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and I, yeah, I agree to that. And then a lot of things, a lot of times I'll look at stuff like, uh, you know, buck to doe ratio or bull to cow ratio and That's going to tell me what kind of a hunt I'm going to, depending on the time of year, like if I'm going for a rut and the ratio is a lot closer, you know, it's like a two to one ratio. I know I'm going to hear screaming bulls. I know I'm going to see chasing bucks, you know what I'm saying? So I kind of look at that stuff and I just formulate a plan that's going to give me again the opportunity and whether that's with a rifle. Now it's like, I don't care whatever that tag is. Sometimes I'll just get a rifle tag and I'll go with the bow. You know, depending on if it's a place that I've already been, if it's, um, you know, a species that I've shot enough of, you know, like, so like for me, for like whitetail, I shot a crap ton of whitetail growing up as a kid and going back to New York all the time. Like I, that's one of the few hunts I don't have a problem grabbing my recurve to go on that hunt because if I don't get one, it's okay. I don't get one. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. If I draw a freaking you know, San Juan bull tag or something like that, I'm not, I'm not taking my recurve. I'm going to take the weapon that's going to give me the highest possible yeah. chance of success. So,
0: And I've, and I've heard – I, yeah, I don't think you're alone in that. Um, I do that to some extent here. I know a lot of guys will carry uh, a bow. I know several guys, in fact, that will carry bows on that uh, Montana general rifle hunt that goes into the rut. You, but you're still hunting. You know, you're hunting rutted bucks. Is right. it easier with a rifle? Sure, you don't have to get as close, but it's effective to still take the bow if you're a bow hunter adventurer, because <laughs> you're hunting during the rut. I right. mean, you're you're likely not going to go to a brand new area in Idaho that has a ten percent success rate in mid October and take your bow and no. expect to kill a yeah right not happening. So <laughs> taking a yeah, rifle, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But but then like. Are you going to maybe consider taking, would you maybe consider taking your rifle on, or a, a bow on, you know, November 15th up in Montana in the Badlands area? Yeah, maybe. It's conducive yeah. to bow hunting. Right. You're still, you're you're going to get some chances at fucks with the bow. So, I'm very similar to you, John. I, I, you know, hunting is a means for adventure to me, as I kind of explained before, getting to experience a lot of the West. I've got my go-to hunts. I've kind of learned, for those who don't know, Utah has a dedicated hunter program mm-hmm. that basically allows you to kill two bucks, and you, you're guaranteed tags for a unit for three years, but in that time period, you can only kill two bucks. So if you your, c- kill two bucks the first two years, then you you sit out the third year. Mm. The benefit of that hunt is you can – Utah – a number of years ago, a long while ago, you lost the privilege to be able to hunt all three weapon types on one tag. Um, so now there's a season and a tag for each weapon type. But well, that's the benefit of the dedicated hunter program is it does allow you to hunt all three weapon types mm. t- during those three years. So uh, a couple of years ago, I was chasing a really special buck um, in my home unit. I'd, I'd seen him a number of years before he had gradually gotten bigger he was a recluse a timber buck and i finally this is the buck then and i'm scoring mid 230s i finally ended up catching a trail camera of him after not seeing him for like a year and a half uh, thinking that he was dead Mm -hmm. and when i put in for the draws you know i i uh i really wanted to guarantee myself the tag so i put in for this dedicated hunter program and a big portion of the area that I hunts archery only because of the popularity of recreation along the along the Wasatch front here and um, so I put in for that dedicated hunter program and I ended up killing the buck really long drawn out season chased him for forty five days and ended up killing him on the last day of the season and awesome. anyway it was it was it was pretty epic but the moral of the story is, You know, I've had the last three years and going into this year, I didn't kill a buck in Utah last year because I knew I had to be picky because I killed a buck the first year. But I've had absolutely zero desire to go out and chase deer here in Utah in my home range with a rifle or muzzleloader. Mm -hmm. So I've kind of taken that experience to learn that I want to bow hunt the archery only area. That's where, you know, it's my backyard. That's where I'm comfortable. That's where. If there was one hunt that I'm going to to sit back and be really 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 picky, it's the bow hunt in my backyard essentially and that's what I've learned that I want in Utah. So Utah mm-hmm. kind of Utah, my focus is archery deer, general hunt rolling over into the OTC extended and I'm going to be really, really picky for a giant and I've killed a number of good bucks on the on the hunt. And then uh you know rifle or sorry in Utah still kind of focused on archery for elk mm-hmm. but I'll get out and dabble with the general OTC rifle and muzzleloader seasons they're really hard you end up having to hunt really really deep or in gorges mm-hmm. last year I killed a he would have been a really big bull if he wasn't broken main beam broke just above the the royal on the one side but if he If he hadn't have broke, we're talking like a 330-type bull um, on the Utah General OTC rifle hunt, and it it smoked me. I killed him six miles from the truck,
2: Mm -hmm. and
0: down in a gorge, I dropped essentially 2,600 vertical feet where I killed him. I killed him in the bottom of a gorge. He was just hiding out in this little grass patch, literally right down by the creek. (laughs) When I shot him, he was actually up a ways on the hillside um had kind of fed up and uh ended up rolling right back down to the creek took me a week to get him out um <laughs> with one good buddy Jaron. and i ended up jacking up my leg on that hunt mm. because the pack out was so intense i got a se- severe case of it band syndrome in my left leg that actually took like three months to heal that's a bitch yeah Uh, The pack out was just absurd, but that's kind of like what you have to do to find elk on that hunt. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of adventure to it. And then what, you know, once I start progress, so basically what I'm saying is I'm kind of open to the weapon in season, Utah, you can buy a multi-season general elk tag to hunt all, all, all season that might be going away.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And if that goes away, I'll have to pick a weapon, which probably be archery. But anyway, for the time being, you can hunt all three seasons. So I, I'm kind of a little more weapons agnostic with elk and then branching out. Um, I generally always like to have, uh, some sort of out of state early season, September elk hunt, uh, generally bow Colorado does op- op- offer some muzzleloader hunts
2: mm-hmm. at
0: that time, but typically I'm bow hunting in September, but I always try to have, uh, you know, some sort of general season OTC rifle hunt lined up in October. If I draw you know, an easy to draw tag in Arizona, those typically fall in November Mm -hmm. this year. I've got, you know, I, I, I got online and waited the, it seems like everyone waited five hours to get online this year to get an Idaho tag.
1: So I got my Idaho tag. Mine was such a terrible experience this year. Yeah. Terrible experience. I I, literally the whole day, the whole day. And I got the worst, freaking tag it yeah. i don't even know why i, bu- I bought it i j- i bought it out of frustration so yep and I'm, not, I'm not even gonna go so i, I gotta turn it <laughs> back in
0: yeah but. and then hopefully pick up a leftover anyway, so i got the tag i wanted uh <laughs> took a while but i still got it i wasn't going for anything top tier but it's going to be a backpack hunt and then uh i really tried to make uh the I really tried to make the jane december january hunt in arizona I've tried to make it down there as much as I can, um, which is obviously a very archery specific con. Right. And then like you, I'm always putting in, you know, I put in for every Western state except Oregon and Washington. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm playing the points game, Nevada, uh, Wyoming. Um, I'm trying to, you know, build points for those New Mexico, New Mexico, but I don't have points, but kind of use New Mexico, Nevada, Wyoming as my trying to draw really good tag units, Mm -hmm. Uh, Arizona OTC, Utah essentially OTC, Idaho OTC, Colorado, there is a plethora of easy to draw options. So I kind of use, uh, right right now my strategy is using Colorado for my September hunt, either a combo archery deer, Mm -hmm. archery elk, or muzzleloader deer elk if I can draw the muzzleloader tags or I've even split it up. I've done last year. In fact, I had a muzzleloader deer tag and a archery elk tag. Okay. So that was, that, that was, that was kind of fun. We didn't carry both weapons because we were hunting distinct areas for the different species. So we went in five days, killed two really good bucks. Mine was pretty wide. And then my buddies was really tall and then came back out, kind of let the llamas rest for a day or two. Then went back in after elk and uh, I I spent two or three days going after this just bomber biggest bull I've seen in the unit, maybe nearing 350. Mm-hmm. Um, Alpine type hunt, uh, so no really no calling. He had a big harem, and uh, just trying to slip in when when he was on the on the periphery and got really close, got within 30. Some cows jumped before I could get get drawn back, and by the time he he ran out there and got stopped. He was like, I don't know, it was like ninety, hundred yards, and it was light was fading. Send
1: um, it. Just kidding, I'm joking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I honestly I, I like.
0: <laughs> I, I mean, to, to each their own, right? And you know, I know I shoot. I sh- everyone. You know, I, I was kind of talking about my my archery experience. I'll send a long shot. I mean, I, I've killed I've killed deer longer than further distance than i'm going to say but just long shots right and i i don't hesitate i'm not going to hesitate 80 90 yards on a bull with my setup i shoot 82 pounds my life is archery so i, right. I don't hesitate the conditions weren't great though no, he was man, aware I, of i'm me. just messing
1: with you <laughs> i, I, I yeah. get it i get it yeah he's aware it's it's all situational that's what i tell people all the time like I mean, I don't know how many times people have told me like, "Oh, you're, you know, you're crazy for taking that or whatever or you know, I don't ever take this far shot because you know, the you're not going to get the penetration or you're not going to do this and you're not going to do that." And I'm like, and I've gone down this road so many times and done so much research. I don't know if you ever looked at any of my stuff, but I've done tons of broadhead testing arrow testing Mm -hmm. vein testing you name it I've done it all and you know I, I tell this story a lot but I in 2016 here in Arizona I took an 83 yard shot at my bull and I was shooting I didn't set up an elk setup that year I just had my my normal everyday uh smaller smaller game bow uh, bow setup and I was shot him with a 426 green total weight arrow with a schwacker two blade mechanical at 83 yards mm-hmm. and I got a pass through and I got a bull on my wall so like yeah. it's not you know that whole thing it's all about shot placement it really is it's about shot it placement is. and yes you could build your setups to when you don't have a perfect shot and you, you kind of do that, you kind of set yourself up to eliminate failures when, when you make a mistake. And I am, I'm all about that, but don't, you know, discount the fact that you can shoot a a modern bow at longer distances or take, you know, something that you feel comfortable with a shot that you feel comfortable with just because (laughs) some guy told you that, uh, yeah, that's you, unethical. You know, right? Exactly. So, yeah, I've had a, I don't get know, off but, my soapbox now.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I'm on the same soapbox. I mean, I've had I had a bull, a five point bull in Idaho, duck my string, or you know, duck the shot at mm-hmm. jump the string at 40 yards. He yeah. was drinking head head down drinking five point bull. Uh, year after raghorn you know, so it's not a little spike. We're talking a bull that's nearly mature, mm-hmm. 40 yards, jump the string, Yep. head down drinking, completely unaware of me. So like it, it'll happen. Shit'll happen. Oh yeah. And it's, and it's interesting that you talked about, you know, an elk specific build that you didn't do that year. Cause that's where, you know, if I had a claim to fame, I've done a number of podcasts talking about this. I've written a slew of articles in Western Hunter about it, but I try to take advantage of every situation that I can. So I love technology. I'll use the technology, you know, the technology that's legal, but from the same token, I'll go and design my bow with an arrow that's specifically optimized for a specific hunt. And it's, it's really interesting that you said, cause we didn't talk about this last week, but mm-hmm. you know, that elk specific arrow for me, an elk specific arrow is going to change. Um, if I'm hunting open country bulls where I'm expecting longer shots, my elk arrow is identical to what you just said. Like, so I, I kind of run, I have three primary arrows that I'll tweak slightly. Okay. I have a 425 grain arrow that I typically put a 1.5 inch sever on the front of, mm-hmm. I'll shoot that arrow out of my, I shoot the that hoyt rx5 and rx7 that bow will sling 28 inch draw 81 pounds that bow will shoot that 425 grain arrow at 315 feet per second Smoking. so i love that arrow yeah smoking i love that arrow because with that sever that sever i get great flight and what i really love the most about that arrow it hits behind the pin you know that's easier to do with a mechanical especially when hearts beaten uneven footing um but the biggest thing I love about that arrow is something I call range forgiveness. And mm-hmm. that arrow, yeah. I can, you know, range finders aren't perfect. And the person behind the range finder isn't perfect either. You can you can mess up the range. In fact, I think that's the biggest mess up in archery hunting is ranging errors or not ranging. Uh, 100%. 100%.
1: That,
0: that, the faster that arrow, the more error you can get away with in that range estimate. And that arrow, I can be like two and a half yards off on my range estimate at 80 yards. So I do this 80 yard proving grounds and I'm, and I've built this arrow up such that I can be two and a half yards off on my range estimate at 80 yards and still be within what I can consider the kill zone on a big mature buck Mm -hmm. that, you know, you drop to a, you know, standard 275 foot per second arrow. You may be lucky if you have one, Yard range forgiveness at 80 yards. So I've doubled my range forgiveness mm-hmm. simply because of where, because of optimizing my equipment. You know, so that's right. that's kind of my open country hunt arrow. And then you said elk specific arrow. So a lot of people are thinking heavier for that. Well,
1: not necessarily for
0: me. <laughs> yeah, not necessarily. So if I'm hunting, <laughs> you know, big timber in in central Idaho or. If I'm hunting PJ country in Arizona mm-hmm. or sitting or hunting water, I've done that November that November general archery hunt that's pretty easy to draw in Arizona for elk. Yep. And it's mostly sitting water. Yep. You know, I, I'll take a six hundred and fifty, seven hundred grain arrow on that hunt, or Big Timber in Idaho, where I'm calling in elk and uh or Colorado, and I don't expect to take a shot longer than 50 yards, I'll take a 650, 700 grain arrow. That way, I could take a quartering two shot and put it through the front shoulder. Yeah. You know, if you have a stout, fixed blade broadhead, not big diameter, you can punch through that front shoulder. The shot that everyone's told you that you you can't or shouldn't take is an archery hunter that's setup specific. Right. Part of the reason why I shoot 80 pounds, I've had. I have breached the front shoulder on a bull, killed the bull with a 656 grain arrow with a. I used to use the cutthroat broadhead, uh, but now I use a single bevel iron will
1: with bleeder blades. That's my and that's my new what I'm using now too for for elk. Yeah, that, that's a badass broadhead. Anyway,
0: <laughs> so my philosophy on close range encounters, like in the thick, whereas I said range forgiveness is the biggest obstacle to overcome on open country hunts.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Close close, you know, tight quarters, thick country hunts it's shot angle forgiveness in my opinion.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: When I'm hunting close quarters tree stands blinds, I don't like to wait for an ideal shot opportunity. The wind swirls, you know, crap happens. I want to get that shot off as fast as I can. Mm-hmm. So if I need to take a quartering two shot, obviously if I can avoid that, I will. But if I've designed my arrow for it, I'm going to take it. Yeah. Or a, you know, or a frontal shot. And but again, I'm shooting you know a 28 and a half inch draw length, shooting 81 pounds, pushing a 650, 700 grain arrow with an incredibly stout fixed blade broadhead. That's why I'm willing to take that shot. Mm-hmm. I'm not willing to take that shot with a 500 grain
1: arrow or pulling 70. You know what I mean? Like, right. No, yeah, it's it's very situational. I I definitely don't do as much because I have I have this thing about confidence with whatever equipment that I have. So if I don't have a really long time to develop, I'm going to call it a relationship with the bow and the arrow that I'm shooting, then my confidence level goes down. So if I have too many setups, it ends up working against me, even though I know that that's a better setup for the situation that I'm going to be putting myself in. So typically I usually have two bows every year and I started doing this only like about five years ago. I still have the same philosophy that my setup is built as well balanced as possible. I don't, I'm a, I'm a middle of the road guy with everything, a middle FOC, middle weight, middle this, middle that. And I, I, We'll we'll do another podcast on this whole thing because this is this is we could spend two hours doing talking about this, yeah. and nor you or I have the time to do that today. But we're yeah. gonna we'll have another podcast we'll talk about it. But a story that popped up in my head when you were talking about the forgiveness is I went down the road of doing a a heavy arrow setup, and I was. I wanted to try the Valkyrie system and I was going to Oregon. I knew I was going to be in really tight stuff. And the guys that I were hunting with were were all shooting heavy stuff. And that's what they swore by for that country. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to do this. And I had an opportunity at a bull at broadside, raking the shit out of a tree, open lane. So no deflection situation here. But um, I made a freaking bonehead move. And he was at fifty-five yards, and I shot him. He was like fifty-three or fifty-four yards, actually, is what he was. I should have used my fifty. I should have split my pins. I should have shot shot him for fifty-five. But he was at like fifty-three or fifty-four. I can't remember. And I shot him with the fifty, and I hit him in the brisket. And yeah. I I don't know. I guess I was so ingrained. I had been shooting my. My other setup, which was that 426 or whatever, 425. And I know in my heart of hearts, if I would have shot that setup, I would have, I would have killed him, you know, no matter what broadhead I had on it, cause he was perfect broadside. The shot yeah. placement was, I mean, left to right was perfect, but it just hit low. And, you know, so that could have saved my whole. You know, misjudgment. I didn't misjudge. I knew what the range was because I ranged them up with my rangefinder, but it wasn't, you know, you, you get faced with that situation. You're like, okay, 53 yards. Do I go to 55 or do I shoot him with the 50? Yeah. Aim a little high. You know, you start doing all those things in your head and it's sped up, you know, way, way faster because yep. you're in that situation. Right. And, you know, I made a decision. I went with it, and it was the wrong decision, unfortunately. But I know in my heart of hearts, if I was shooting my normal setup that I would normally be shooting, that bull would be dead. Um, yep. So, anyway, but uh, That's,
0: that is a that is a very good, I mean, very good point. You have to be aware of your equipment. This isn't like what you were saying. That practice is is essential. Mm-hmm. So I'm building. So I'm you know I'm planning right now for what my hunts are going to be, yeah. and. You know, so I'm, I'm working on my bows and my arrows right now because I two-shoot two bows. Um, I, I have been able to get two different arrows, a light arrow and a heavy arrow, you know, playing with spine and weight to tune out out of the same bow. Mm-hmm. So, now I, so now I just have to change out my sight for the different drops. But, right. Or have a different sight tape for the different drops. But recently, that takes a tremendous amount of work and tinkering to be able to get two arrows to tune to the same rest setting, if you will. Yep. But recently I've been, I've been going down the path of, I like to have a backup bow anyway. So I have a, a light arrow bow and a heavy arrow bow. Mm
2: -hmm. And I,
0: I'm literally all alternate days. Like I'll take this to the Eastern range today and I'll take that one to the Eastern range. So, and then I'm, I'm very detailed already. So it's, it's very easy for me personally to be in the details, but I'm very cognizant when I'm out bow hunting with that heavy arrow, like constantly repeating in my head const- I mean, constantly constantly
2: mm-hmm. my
0: pins are 20 30 40 uh heavier arrow, heavier arrow. i'm constantly thinking it and so far i've 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 been doing this since 17. so I, i've yet to have a flub up and so it works for me mm-hmm. uh, i think your 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 caution that that you have there i think is extremely valid if you're not a detail details person I think you could definitely get caught up especially in the moment if you if you don't have a lot of time to practice with both setups yeah people just got to figure out what works for them and then optimize for it
1: so yeah i I, I, I really love that i'm with you i'm with you um one of the things that i'll i'm going to explain this about me i'm actually a very detail oriented person but i'm also an autopilot person too oh so yeah the second i go into autopilot my body Mm -hmm my focus, everything resorts back to what I've taught myself up to that hunt. So for me, that's why I'm like I said, I I always develop a relationship with whatever bow I'm shooting and and feel it in different positions and shoot from different angles and all this other stuff and I'm constantly trying to, so that my body, I don't have to think about it because I go into autopilot and, and it just happens. And when i'm well practiced and i'm you know i have that relationship with the bow it it works almost all the time unless you know conditionally something goes wrong or the animal so yeah yeah it's almost like you you kind of
0: like if you've got like depending on what what bow hunts you got coming up that year it's almost like you decide in march Mm -hmm. what what hunt is the most important bow hunt of the year and then you design your your primary arrow if you will around that and then you just get
1: used to shoot not bow all year or something. Right. So that that's part of the reason why I developed this whole balance thing. But I will always so like my my I'm going to say my elk setup and my and my everything else setup they're very close. The really the difference is I shoot a 250 spine versus a 300 spine. Mm-hmm. And other than that and that weight difference, that's the difference I go from my my the last few years so it went up from 425 or whatever it was to 444 is what my normal setup my everyday setup is for everything Mm -hmm. and then it goes up to almost 460 on my elk setup and that's the only difference like that i don't there's not a big big difference Um, i don't even have to touch my sight i honestly i can i can shoot both arrows using the same sight Gap wise, I don't have to change it. I'll have to just move the whole. If I was going to use the same bow, I just have to move the whole housing to match my 20 yard and then the rest just fall into place. Yeah. So, yeah. but that makes sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's, uh, um, yeah, that's really interesting. My personally, I end up doing, I end up doing a ton of open country hunting, just the general season stuff that I'm mostly doing. I've yet to draw, uh, what I'd consider a limited entry elk tag. Honestly, it, uh, I just have horrible draw, draw. I, I'll eventually score a lot of really good tags, but in my, I just have not drawn very many good tags, and uh, so a lot of my hunting is OTC, mm-hmm. especially elk, and I just find it really hard to call in bulls in heavily hunted OTC areas. So I ended up, I end up hunting more open country. So my my default arrow
1: is going to be the fastest most
0: of the hunting. Is the fast arrow. Yeah. So 425 yeah. grains, 315 feet per second. And then if I've got a hunt, it takes a quite a bit of oddity, I should say, you know, difference in a hunt for me to want to switch that up. And I will, if uh, especially if I'm hunting a, a tree stand or a ground blind. I definitely really love my heavy arrow on, on those sort
1: of hunts. Mm-hmm. Or, it quiets the bow. Like said, you can more forgiving with impact. I get it for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So... Well, yeah, definitely my default arrow, because the my default hunt is open country. Therefore, my default arrow is light and fast. That range forgiveness. And that's what I think a lot of people need to. You know, we're creatures of habit. And I think a lot of people need to figure out what's their cup of tea. What are they mostly hunting, and then, and then design and you know design your, your arrow around that. I mean, you're saying your middle of the road arrow is four hundred and. 444 grains. Yeah. That's still pretty, that's still pretty light, right? Like, yeah,
1: exactly. But if you know, compared most, to, if you compare to some of these guys that are running 390 grains or, you know, yeah, they, they're dry fire their bow almost. Yeah. Um, but yes, that compared to the new, the new norm of, uh, cool kids that are running the, uh, you know, six, 700 grain ones. But yeah.
0: when I hear people say they're shooting the middle of the road arrow, you know, I'm used to hearing guys shooting in the, I mean, honestly, when you first said that you're shooting the middle of the road arrow, I immediately jumped to, okay, so it's probably shooting a five, yeah, 500 yeah. to 525 grain arrow. Yeah. And then you said 444. I was like, oh, that's still pretty light and fast.
1: Yeah. Well, I shoot 70 pounds. I'm 29 inch draw. It's about 288 to 290, 292 feet per second, depending on my bow. Yeah. That's,
0: that's, that's still pretty smoking. So, so
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, that's what my, my, I, when I start my arrow builds, again, we're going to go down there. I, w- I want to do this actually as a whole podcast, but when I start my hour, arrow builds, I look at a, a feet per second that I want to be at and I build accordingly to that. And yeah. then all the um, other, all the other stuff kind of falls into place. So. Oh, calls, falls in place. Yep. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I'm so. open. Yeah. I, I'm, ai eat, sleep, and drink this stuff, man. The archery stuff. I, like I said, I rifle hunt. I don't have a lot of time. I don't tinker with, with load development. Um, I spend literally, I think about archery every day, and I've thought about archery every day for the last 10 years. <laughs> uh, you know, rifle hunting standpoint, I kind of subscribe to the, there's a lot of good gun manufacturers out there like Gunworks and, and the like that are producing guns with top-tier ammo. Right. So I kind of subscribe to the, let them do that because they're doing a hell of a job at it. Let me buy their ammo that's already loaded. Yep. So I don't have to I don't worry about, you know, I can shoot a grand. I can shoot twelve hundred yards depending on my rifle setup. Like I'm not gonna shoot twelve hundred yards with my seven pound six five PRC, but you know, my ten pound my ten pound seven rem mag, like it's more than capable at that range. It's you know easier to shoot. But the point is, like, I'm letting you know, everyone's got the time, you know, everyone's got time issues, right? We all have the same amount of time. You can't, I can't personally in my life right now expect to be, I can't tinker to the world's end with my bow and tinker to the world's end with my rifle and tinker tinker to the world's end with my muzzle loader. there's not enough time. Mm-hmm. So I choose to throw a lot of my tinkering time into archery and then I've just found great success allowing GunWorks to supply me you know, I go into and I buy into the gun work system. I buy a rifle. It's expensive. Yeah. But I don't have to, you know, I don't have to tinker with ballistics tuning or load development. I know that the rounds that I'm going to buy right now yeah. are going to shoot the same as rounds that I shoot five years from now.
1: on yeah, um, the same. that, way. Afford, exactly that the affords,
0: way. <laughs> that affords me all that. Cause I just, I just feel like not to, not to bag on archery pro shops, but Honestly, to do an archery pro shop right, somebody would have to charge me a thousand dollars to set up my bow. Yeah, I mean it's it, I, I just it just takes me it just takes that much time for me to set up my bow to to exactly how I want it, and I just feel like from the gun world that's easier for somebody else to do that. Minus you know, like they'll bore sight it, they'll sight it in for you, and I just have to make some minor little tweak. But the confidence that I the amount of time that i have to put into tuning my gun and it produce extreme confidence on my end is so vastly different than the than the amount of time that i have to put into my bow to produce the same amount of confidence
1: oh yeah absolutely absolutely I, and i'm I, I don't use gunworks so i use best of the west which is I mean, you know it's the same same, yeah, same, con- same concept, concept right concept, yep. so yeah i just want it's like plug and play i just want to grab it pull it out of the freaking the gun safe and go shoot it. Like, I don't shoot my rifle all year round. I shoot it once to verify before season starts that nothing got bumped off or whatever. And that's all I shoot it. And I am confident to shoot, like you said, you know, 1,000, 1,200, no problem. And it's repeatable for me. The bow, if I haven't been spending ridiculous amount of time obsessing over it, (laughs) then, then I don't, I don't have that same confidence. Correct. Um, So, but yeah, man, I appreciate you coming on and, and, and sharing all your knowledge and the cool stories. And I definitely want to have you on. This is a topic that I, I'm also very passionate about and I'd love to pick your brain and hear your philosophies on all of it. And we could go down arrow builds and all that stuff.
0: Yeah, I'm 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 game. Yeah, let's uh let's do it. That's my bread and butter so.
1: Sounds good. Yeah, go check out uh James's Instagram page. What do you have? It's Yates in the Backcountry. Yeah, Yates yeah, in the Backcountry.
0: Yeah. Um I'm in every issue of the Western Hunter for the last year and will be on the archery content editor. Also do some dabbling in some other facets of hunting, but uh yeah, check me on Western Hunter magazine and on on Instagram. Awesome.
1: Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, John. Hey, guys. Thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor. Go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word, and check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much, and we'll catch you on the next show.